Welcome to the Sermon B-Side Podcast, a podcast of Liberty Church in the Harrisburg region of Central Pennsylvania. Sermon B-Side is designed to be a resource to answer your questions and to go deeper into the conversation started by each week's sermon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another week of the Liberty B-Side Podcast. I'm Steve King. Alongside me is Matt Mulloyan. Matt, welcome to another week. Good to be here, Steve. Yeah, thank you. And uh, it's just uh, you and me this week. Hey, uh, last week it wasn't. Mike Schaff was Mike, with us. Mike joined us last was week. It, is it two weeks running we had that? We, uh, yeah, we did have, we, we kicked off Philippians. Yep. I'm already forgetting. That okay. We, two weeks ago we kicked off Philippians. And that was just you and I? That was you and me, I think. And then, uh, yeah. And now I think we got a few weeks in a row where it'll be kind of back to just you our and I. normal. It's more fun when we have guests. It is. We have fun with okay. guests. We have fun with guests. We also go long with guests. We do. Yeah, I mean, we're always targeting 30 minutes, yeah. and like, let's be honest. Guests take us to like usually 45, 50. Oh, easily. Yeah. I mean, we'll take ourselves to 38 or 40 we most weeks. Have we ever hit an hour? Today's the day! <laughs> Buckle up, everybody. Man. We, we got, got records to break. Well, we might, because we're also covering a couple. We recorded so early last week. Last week, True. when Mike was with us, we recorded literally Sunday afternoon. We walked you know, out of the other room, into this room. And recorded. That's right. Uh, because a couple of us were going to be out of town doing other stuff last Monday. So we did get a couple other questions, which I'm, I just want to first of all say we got a couple questions from yesterday's sermon. We got a couple questions from last week's sermon. So keep them coming. This is really helpful. Um, I think maybe because we're back now in the rhythm of Bible study groups, we are um, getting questions more often, which is yeah. great. And um, not just the usual suspects. That's true. Questions. There's more people, different people. That's true. Submitting questions, which is great. Yeah, so we're really grateful for that. Keep it coming. Yeah. So the two questions. So this is a, well. Let's go back to last week. Yeah. So let's do okay. this in chron- let's chronologically set our minds here. Okay. Nice. Last week, Mike Schuff preached. Uh, we're in Philippians one still. Yeah. And he was verses twelve through eighteen. Yep. Gospel advance. Press gospel on for advance. gospel advance. That's right. Yep. Um, and so the two questions that came in uh, are referring to that. So maybe we'll kind of we'll kind of recap some of that message as we're answering questions. Yeah, we'll do let's that. do that. Yep. Um, so one question came in. I'll read it in its in its full. Maybe just paraphrase a couple sections here. Yep. So how does Philippians one verses fifteen through eighteen? Um, this is Paul reflecting on the idea of some some indeed preach Christ from envy and envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do out of love, and I'm not here for the defense of the gospel, and put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and that I rejoice. So that's yep. 15 through 18. Yep. So with that in mind, okay. how does that inform, or not, our understanding and actions as it relates to American churches in this cultural moment? Said another way... Paul seems to be saying that as long as Christ is proclaimed, that's cool. Motivation is less important. So maybe the ends justify the means there kind of concept. So in our modern American cultural context, it's rel- relatively easy to find churches that are motivated by and elevate cultural and or political ideals to a similar level as the gospel. How should this section of Philippians inform how we approach and act towards those churches? Or would you say it doesn't apply at all, as this passage is referring to specific individuals jealous of Paul and not the church body as a whole. So good, good yeah, question. A lot to really be a question, you know, kind of long, long winded thoughts. I get, I read the passage to yep. a little bit of a, 
does the ends always justify the means yeah. if Christ is being preached? How do we respond to churches and individuals that are that we would accuse of doing that? Yep. So I think it does have some application and implication for our modern American cultural context. I think that's insightful. Um, if, even if you want to just look at the Philippians 1 passage here, um, where Paul's talking about some preaching out of envy and rivalry and selfish ambition, as opposed to preaching for pure motives of the gospel. Um, even if we want to say that that's only about a relational thing with Paul, a, a, a fascinating part of the gospels for me, Steve, is always this, this, this um, juxtaposition where in one moment, and I'm, I'd have to go back and look up the references. So um, maybe we can throw those in the show notes or something later. Do we, do we even have show notes? No. <laughs> they're in the show notes, everybody. Right. Just look there. Look you, the show notes. you won't find it. We don't have them, but they're in there. <laughs> no, Trust I don't me. think we do Trust have show me. notes. <laughs> I call our show notes like the notes we take ahead of the episode so we know what we're doing. But yeah. Just trust us. They're in the show notes. They're in there. Um, in the Gospels, <laughs> you've got um, one time where the disciples ask Jesus, there's some people preaching the Gospel. And he says, you know what? If they're not against us, they're for us. Yeah. There's another instance where he sees people... And he says, if, if they're not for you, they're against you. And so you've got this interesting juxtaposition there set up in the Gospels of like, if someone is not directly connected to us and is proclaiming the Gospel, do we affirm that? Or are they, are they for us and they're with us and we should just let that go? That's kind of what Paul's saying in Philippians 1, in this I rejoice, the Gospel being proclaimed. Or when we look at other people and say, you know what, if they're not with us, if they're not for us, then they're against us. Here's, I think, maybe the way to flesh that out in this question, the modern cultural context. Um, I think as long as a church is actually proclaiming that trusting in Jesus is the only way to experience salvation, then we should at least um, take some measure of comfort and, and even rejoicing in the fact that the gospel is being proclaimed. Mm-hmm. I think that's the line. I think if it's a church that's not proclaiming the gospel, I think if it's a church that... Um, the gospel is very muddied by uh, what's called sometimes called like the prosperity gospel. That's a very different message. That's no gospel at all. Then I think we um, we don't rejoice in that because it's actually not leading people to a saving faith. Sure. So I think we're always wrestling with: is it possible for someone, based on what they're hearing there, to be led to a saving faith? And if yes. And if the other kinds of things around that then would be, would actually live more in the second or third order of theological convictions and views, it's not that those are unimportant. Um, it's not that their philosophy and their approach to, to being a church and the kinds of things they do are, are unimportant. It's not like there's churches that I'd be more excited to send someone to and less excited to send someone to. But Because you're saying there are. Because there are. Yeah, right. But I would still rejoice if the, if the in the existence of churches that are at least clear about what is it actually, what is saving faith? What, sure. what does a person have to believe uh, to put their faith in in order to enter into the kingdom of God? Yep. I can rejoice in that in spite of the other things that I would disagree on convictionally. I think if I'm concerned that the person would not even come to saving faith there, that, that puts it in a whole different category for me where I would not rejoice in that. Mm-hmm. That would be like Paul in Galatians 2 saying, if anyone, including an angel of God, proclaims to you another gospel, let him be condemned. Let him sure. be cursed. Right. Um, that there is a there is a gospel to preserve. Sure. So maybe that's the modern application for this. I think we should be more charitable than many Christians are to churches of different theological tribes and, and streams. Yeah. And not thinking that we're the only one <clears throat> that's faithful with the gospel because 
of the way we do everything. Sure. I think we have to be more charitable than that. Yeah. Um, at the same time, we're not universalists. We don't look right. at anything that, that has Jesus somewhere in the name or the website and go, that's fine by me. They're at least talking about Jesus. So if they're not actually clearly articulating sin is a reality, we need to repent and believe in the, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, that that's, that's the only thing that leads to forgiveness of our sins and reconciliation with God. Yeah. I'm concerned. Yeah. I wouldn't rejoice in that. Yeah. Yeah. So something to rejoice in and still recognize there's implications between the first order, second order, third order things of the faith. They, yeah. they do have, there has to be some congruency between them. They, they kind of connect with one another. So like keep the central thing central, yep. but also it's like, yeah, if you find a church that is willing to preach the gospel and, and, and they state clearly what sin is and who Christ is and his atonement, justification, like all the things that we talk about, the central of the gospel, yep. but they're unwilling to affirm the Apostles' Creed. You go, sure. well, wait a second. There's something to celebrate there, but there's still something to ask. There's yeah, still something to like absolutely. understand and seek to yep. seek to learn more about and maybe go, over time, there's not the fruit that you'd want to see there. I'm using it just as an example yeah, of you know, whether that church exists or not. I'm sure it does. But yeah. Yeah. That's really um, good. I think that's um I think that's right. There's there's a great phrase, has a lot of history to it. Uh in essentials unity, in non-essentials uh liberty, and in all things charity. Right. That's a good so phrase. So that's that's this phrase. I've actually seen ministries develop out like, well, what are we talking about that has to be unified about the essentials? It's like the bullseye of sure. this concentric circle kind of diagram. And in the center in the bullseye, essentials, unity, next ring, non-essentials, liberty, got some freedom in those things. And then third ring, which is kind of all encompassing and all things charity. So yeah. we, we still want to have a charitable perspective toward people that are, that are holding the essentials together. Some freedom within the, the non-essentials. Yeah. How you define those or drilling down on what specifically belongs in each category. Yeah. Uh, is something a first order gospel issue or is it a second order or third or fourth or fifth or sixth order issue? Like that's, yeah. there's a lot of good room for conversation there, but I'd say um, that's at least a grid to start to determine how we interact with sure. churches that are different than us and yeah. perspectives. Yeah. Do you think that the, um, I don't know if scripture makes this really clear to us. Do you think yeah. that the people who are opposing Paul and quote unquote preaching, the gospel preaching yeah. Christ, do they know what they're actually preaching? Do they see that? Are they, is this an advantage? They're just taking advantage of an opportunity to gain a following or to make a profit or to just kind of get, get alongside this movement. It's what it seems like. I mean, it seems like they're clearly off in their motives, mm-hmm. but also Paul seems to be content and <clears throat> confident in their message. That's right. Cause he's not right. afraid of opposing people when they, when they butchered the gospel. That's, right. and that's the Galatians too. Like I oppose Peter to his face because yep. he was clearly in the wrong. Uh, if anyone else proclaims a different gospel, let him be condemned. Like that's the, he, he will go toe to toe if the message is off. Right. If salvation is on the line. Right. So, so I think where Paul's able to go and in that I rejoice, he's like, man, their motives are way off. Right. Um, I don't know why. That's a good question. Like, yeah. do, do they are they aware that their motives are, are so off? Are they aware that there's such a disconnect between sure. the means yeah. and the method, um, and the message, um, or um, or not? But but Paul seems very confident that at least the message they are proclaiming is yeah. faithful and sufficient enough for people to have saving faith. Yeah, yeah. That's what I find. Maybe just last comment on that. We have other things to get to too. The um, they they seem to be so far off in their motive. That's not threatening to Paul. Huh. It's, it's, a, it's like they, they're so wrong in their motive. Yeah. 
but the but the message is so clear. It's almost as if they don't even know the truth that they're proclaiming. And Paul's mm-hmm. like, sure, just keep saying that because the Spirit will actually work through that message, and totally. they would. It almost as if they will be surprised when someone would believe in God by way of their message. They wouldn't. They don't even oh. understand the power with which they're speaking, the truth yeah. of it. Which yeah. I kind of find it's kind of like a, a funny thing. Yeah. So, all right, well, let's move to this next question. Kyle just mentioned I yeah. recognized. I don't know, two minutes in. I'm like, why is the gain so high on our audio? Um, we had the heater on. I had the heater on in this room. Oh, nice. So I yeah. think it was just picking up some some noise. Okay. I don't know if anyone, if you're listening, for the first two minutes, it was just really loud. Or if you heard a buzz, that was the that was the heater in the office. But anyway, turn that off. All right, let's move to the next question. Let's do it. This is also um, related to the this is from last week. Yes, okay. that's right. Correct. All right, Paul is imprisoned in Rome during this time. During the sermon, Mike, that's being Mike Schaff, who, who preached, um, said there was nothing nice about Roman prisons. However, Paul is at least allowed to use a pen, use of a pen and paper long enough to write several letters. And the letters were delivered, not destroyed by the guards. And in Acts 28, it discussed him welcoming visitors. So that's going back to a series from the fall. While I'm sure you would rather be free than imprisoned, this doesn't sound horrible. If he is imprisoned for preaching the gospel, why would they allow him to meet with and send letters to his friends in churches? Yeah, great question. And most likely, when we say Paul was imprisoned in Rome, it was some form of house arrest. Yeah. So not like dungy, um, you know. Dungy? Dungy. <laughs> what like, am I saying? Like Tony Dungy wasn't there. Dungy, 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 the best we can tell, that is the context of Philippians 1, being, of the book of Philippians, the letter being written, is when Paul is in Rome as Acts 28 references. So yeah. this person asking that question is insightful to draw it from Acts 28. So most likely, Paul was not in a dungeon. <clears throat> most likely, he was under house arrest. Now, he does talk about his chains. So even though he's under house arrest, it wasn't like he had, you know, maybe we'd think in modern society, like an ankle monitor, you just have to stay in your house and you can't leave your house. Sure. He actually was... Like he was, he had chains around him yep. for at least some portion of the time. So it's a little bit of this hybrid between what we think of as house arrest and what we think of as a prison cell. Mm-hmm. That he had a guard stationed near him. Yep. Uh, he talks about the whole praetorium in Philippians chapter one. Um, so there's a, there's guards that are kind of rotating around him and being around him. He's chained up, but yes, yeah, so he did have certain amenities and luxuries that were afforded to him that he would not have if he were, was in a prison cell sure. dungeon. He was, yep. and part of that was, um, though the Romans were not known for their humane treatment of prisoners, they did have a legal system. And actually the book of acts makes it look way better. Like if you read the book of acts, the, the Romans look way more, um, <clears throat> just yeah. and way more, um, charitable and equitable than the, than the Jewish people do. Sure. In terms of their judicial That was system. a part of one of your messages in the fall. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we went, especially those yeah. last five trials in the book That's of right. Acts, and you yep. see there's a crazy juxtaposition there that Luke presents that, like, Paul really wasn't a threat to Rome in the way he was a threat to the Jewish religious leaders. That's right. And the Jewish religious leaders, their legal 
proceedings and system was chock full of injustices compared to the Roman system. Right. So the Romans come away looking like the more just of the two groups in that. That's right. That setting. But um, yeah, so they weren't like going out of their way to like do stuff for Paul, but they weren't preventing his friends and other Christians from coming and ministering to his needs. Sure. And at this point, um, Christianity was not the intense threat to Rome the way it became not long after this. Right. I mean, even so Paul's, this is probably like 62 AD when Paul's writing Philippians and it's his first time in Rome about to go on trial before Caesar. It's the culmination of the book of Acts of all those different trials. Yep. He's executed around 67, 68 AD in Rome. Um, by that point in those like five, six years, something major turned. Yeah. And Christianity was now considered a broad threat to the Roman empire and a widespread right. uh, type of persecution broke out. Right. It's good. Well, let's jump to yesterday. yesterday's yeah. message. Okay. So Philippians, this was you preaching Philippians still in chapter one, 19, or really just the end of verse 18, um, through verse 28. Did I have that right? 28 mm-hmm. or 26? 28. Mm-hmm. 26. 26. 26. Okay. 26. So Matt, before these questions, we had two that came in. Um, jump in and give a quick, uh, give a quick summary of the message yesterday for anyone listening who listened to the sermon, but maybe is listening to this episode of our podcast later in the week, or maybe someone who didn't really get a chance to listen to the sermon yet. Just like a one minute summary, major points of the sermon yesterday. Yeah, so it's it's Paul wrestling with these options of life or death, what it means for him, what it means for the Philippians. Um, famous line, the most memorable line from this portion of Philippians 1 is, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Right. So that's where we were. So talked a little bit yesterday about those options um, that, that Paul actually can't lose. Christ will be honored whether he goes on living or whether he dies. He actually has a preference, though he's free in either option. He talks about death, departing to be with Jesus. He talks about that being the better option and the one he desires. Mm-hmm. So we talked about that a little bit. But then also there's what he calls the necessary option, which is to remain in the flesh. It's more necessary for the sake of the Philippians that he continue on and not die at this point, but continue living. Um, so talked about why really the only kind of life worth sticking around for. <laughs> yeah. If it's actually better to be with Christ... If that's if this life fractured by sin as it is is the worst that it gets, there is a kind of life worth sticking around for, but it's it's not the kind of life that most of us in the 21st century American West, you know, well, the Western world I mean, sure. or America, yep. Yep. not the American West. <laughs> I guess that means something different. True. Real dungy in the we, American we, West. Real, real dungy, real dungy out there. Real dungy. Um, in the West, in America, it's not the kind of life we typically think of. So kind of wrestling through the better option, the necessary option, really at the end of the day, we don't get to determine the length of our lives. We don't get to choose. So the only option is to live each day in honor of Christ, yep. to use our, all of our todays that way to fix our eyes on Jesus. Yep. So that's the that's good summary. Good summary. All right. So this question came in. Um, we talked about this question before we started recording the podcast. Still not sure if I'm 100% there on yet what the questioner means. We might have to hash this out a little bit. Okay. All right, here's a question. In what seems like the constant hastening march to a new level of self-absorption, what have you found to be the most relational way to love people? I think this question is just kind of reflecting on our current cultural moment or like or the moment we live in. There's a constant hastening march 
to self-absorption, yeah. maybe either on the person who wants to love others, yeah. but still wrestling with feeling self-absorbed in, in still loving others, or the person who needs to be loved by others and is self-absorbed in some way too in how they receive love. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm not sure, I don't know if we know exactly what's yeah. intended there, but what have you found to be the most relational way to love people? Yeah, it's a great question. And I don't know which exact meaning that the questioner was intending there, but the reality being that um, there's self-absorption on every side. I mean, there's yeah. self-absorption in us as we try to love other people and there's self-absorption in the people that we're trying to love. Yeah. Um, and we are some of the people that we're trying to love each other in the church and we're also facing self-absorption. So what does that, what does that look like? Yeah. Can we talk about what that looks like. So when we, when we're wrestling with self-absorption, yep. is that, as I'm giving love to somebody, mm-hmm. if I'm if I'm wrestling with self-absorption in that moment, it's like that question, like, can you ever actually be kind to someone without without it actually benefiting you? Sure. You know, is every gesture of kindness just really a self-service? Yeah. Now, maybe that's a fun question to kind of wrestle with sometimes. But like the application of that and the self-absorption lens through with, with through which we're looking is when I love other people. And I'm wrestling with self-absorption. I'm really just loving them in a way that allows me to feel good about myself, to kind of show other people yep. that I'm doing something that's noble or kind or virtuous. Yep. Um, the, the quickest litmus test that's been helpful to me yep. is, so let's say <laughs> I'm loving someone. I'm trying to pursue serving and caring for someone. Um, how they respond hmm. and, and whether or not they, if, so when they don't, respond the way that I'm wanting them to respond. Okay. That's the quickest litmus test for me of why my, why I'm actually doing this. Okay. So like if I'm loving and serving them so that they, you know, recognize my efforts in their in service, they recognize how amazing my insights are. Wow. You gave me such great counsel and care. It's, you know, all that kind of stuff like that gets exposed really quickly when the person that I'm trying to care for in that moment yep. doesn't give me what I want from them. Yeah. So, so, so that's, I think the best and quickest litmus test, like how do you respond and what do you recognize it when the the person you're trying to love doesn't receive it the way that you want to receive it? That'll Mm -hmm. show you really quickly if you're doing it truly for their good or if you're doing it to get something back from them. Sure. So that's been my best litmus test, you know, personally and kind of seeing the motive. The reality is, is there's mixed motives in all of that stuff. Like Mm -hmm. we, we do love other people because we genuinely care about them. And we do love other people at the very same time because we, you know, we think the way we're loving them is going to create some kind of feeling in us or give us something back from them. Yeah. Um, it's the whole idea of like, you know, um, even like, you know, we see this in like mission trips, right? Do we go on mission trips to other, to other places and serve other people genuinely for the good of the people that are there? Or do we go because, you know, people have told us it's an amazing experience and it'll change your life forever. Sure. And you can't imagine the kind of stuff God will do in your life when you go. Um, it's like, sure. Okay. Well, that doesn't seem like I'm actually going to, to serve people. So I, I think the questioner is getting maybe at that dynamic. Yeah. So what is the most relational way to love people? Mm. <laughs> I think it's exactly that. It's to stay, stay in the relationship. Yeah. Like it's, it's to, to recognize that in your pursuit of loving another person, they're not going to respond the way you want them to. I mean, even like parent child relationships as your, as your kids start to make decisions that you think are foolish and you don't want them to make, you stay in the relationship with them. You recognize 
that maybe you were you were loving them to get something back from them. You were sure. you were asking them to validate you in some way by by your efforts to be present in their life. But if you stay in the relationship yep. and you allow their response to not you know to not to, to not to be like a transaction where like hey I've loved you Steve end of transaction but yep. like it's it's a continual circle. Sure. Hey Steve I've tried to love you man you reacted poorly to that not the way I wanted. What is that saying about maybe where you're at? But what's that also saying about maybe what if I'm like affected by that in this major way? Yep. What's that saying about my whole motive and reason for why I was doing it in the first place? And it it becomes this hopefully um hopefully it's spiraling in like we're getting closer and closer to a pure motive as we stay in the relationship with each sure. other. Sure. Yeah. And I think that keeps us from the the unhealthy pattern where like transactional kind of pursuit of love and service, oh, it went poorly. Now we all pull back. Yep. Now we all go back and be more <clears throat> self-absorbed. And we go over here and go like, can you believe how that person responded to me? They didn't respond to me. Yep. Um, you know, I think we have a high capacity for self-absorption. I think, yeah. we, I think we can just, so I think the more we stay in it with people, even when they're not responding to our efforts the way we want them to, we're not getting anything back from them in that even. Yeah. That's part of how God, I think, is sanctifying us through the relationship. Yep. I think the relation. I think that's really an insightful word to drop into the middle of this question. Uh, the what's the most relational way to love people? Stay in the relationship, right? Stay in it, right? Um, I think it's well. I think it's well said. I think it's also the idea of a, a transaction can, is combated with the perspective that sometimes takes time to develop, where I don't just always have something to give; I have something to receive in a relationship. That's a great so, point. The transaction of like, actually, this isn't a transaction. This is the best relationships we have is when you kind of stand on mutual ground with each other. Yeah. Maybe there's in a dynamic, think about think about the types of relationships, whether it's a marriage or a best friendship or you know a group dynamic. Like, of course, you're going to have people that will maybe have a, a skill set or a value that they bring to a relationship that the other person doesn't. There's this complementary complementarian aspect that shows up in dynamics all the time and whether it's, you know, intimate relationships or otherwise. Yeah. And yet this mutual footing, this mutual perspective of giving and receiving. Ultimately, I like how Paul writes it here, you know, in in verse 25, I know remain, remain and continue with you all for your progress, progress and joy in the faith. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, that's like my motive for that other person is that they would have progress and joy in the faith. Yeah. And I want that, for them, for me. Yeah. Um, and so it's not just transactional. It's us doing this together. That's good. Um, we've talked about it. it at Liberty it shows up every now and then, maybe every couple months in a sermon that the, the phrase of, you know, to be a Christian is to, this, this is to, to show is to be a beggar who shows other beggars where they found bread. Yeah. Mike said that last week. And he said that last week. You're right. So, um, it's this idea of like, I'm, when I become a Christian, if I am going on mission to serve people who don't know Christ, yeah. If I come with a, like, I got the secret sauce. Right. And, oh, if I can convince them of this, they'll be better off for it. It's like, no, I'm actually coming to share yeah. something that was given to me. I'm a beggar just like them. Yeah. And I want to show them where the bread is. This humility in this relationship mm-hmm. that turns it away from being a transaction. That's right. So, but you're right. You got to stay in it. You got to stay in those relationships. Yeah. And I think what you said there, too, is, um, you know, so this is the other, maybe the, the caution in it, right, is... There's some people that ask all the time because they think other people kind of exist to serve them. Hmm. So there's a self-absorption then in me as the asker, if I'm asking people to kind of meet my needs all the time. Sure. 
But there's another kind of person, and I think there's more of these kinds of people at Liberty Church right now. Okay. Who are very capable, competent people. And this is not how I describe other people. This is how I describe my own self and my own, you know, even some of where my family kind of patterns have been. I would, I sometimes said it shorthand, like to impose on someone else is like the cardinal sin. Sure. Yep. <laughs> like, right. Don't, don't, right. don't impose on people. Like, right. may, you know, be there, show up and serve them and help them. When someone asks, you're there, you're helping them. But like, don't ask for that same thing. Like, don't be an imposition to, to other people. And what you to your point, Steve, that um, to be a to be a person who actually is willing to ask for help when you need it, yes, is is actually equally part of a of a of a relationship. And it's actually this is this was convicting for me to kind of stumble <laughs> into this some years ago. It's really self absorbed to never ask. Sure, like, it's really right. so like you're like I'm self sufficient. <clears throat> I've got it. You're the one that needs help, not me. Right. So you ask me for help, but when I have issues, I got them. Like sure. I'm dealing with them. Yeah. That's a self. That's like it's self absorption to never ask. Just as much as a self-absorption to always ask and, yeah. and think that other people are there for, to meet your needs. Yeah. So, man, the whole like Galatians 6, bear each other's burdens and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. But each one must be able to carry his own burdens. You've got, you've got right there at those first opening verses of Galatians 6. Yeah. We should pursue carrying our burdens, but we should also bear each other's burdens. Um, you you got to handle stuff yourself and you also got to ask for, for, yeah. for help when you can. Can I... Can I- Go to two examples where I think I, that shows up sometimes. Yeah. Um, one has a part, part one and part two. So the, the one, I think, I think it does. The one is if you find yourself apologizing before you ask for something, maybe that would show you that you're wrestling with that. Doesn't yeah. mean that you're yeah. the worst character ever, but like yeah. if you ever say like, hey, I'm really sorry, and then ask them what's like, you don't have to be sorry to ask. Mm-hmm. It's okay to ask for help. Mm-hmm. That's like part one of the first thing. Yeah. Part two would be, if you find yourself always asking for prayer requests about other people but not yourself, huh. I just would would uh, would ask you to consider yeah. if you're willing to be um, vulnerable enough, transparent enough, and willing enough to trust others with some of the mess that shows up in a relationship. And it's not easy, but I see this in you know from years of being in Bible studies, both here and elsewhere throughout life. Right throughout life, you just kind of see these patterns yeah. that show up in. Um, you know, kind of the Christian culture that Liberty is the type of people that we are that are filled with sure. kind of this middle class Christian, um, a lot of prayer requests for other people. Hmm. So if you're prayer, if you're sharing prayer requests, say, Hey, can you pray for my sisters, brothers, aunts, uncles, you know, it's like, if you go sure. down that line, sure. is that really about like your prayer request, that just yeah. be something to consider I'm not yeah. accusing you of that. I'm just saying, consider that. Yeah, that's good. You know? Well, and even to, to connect it to Philippians 1, so Paul opens this letter, right, with all of his prayers for them. I thank my God in all my prayers for you, and mm-hmm. all my, I make all my prayers with joy. So the beginning of the passage we were in yesterday, he says, um, I know that through your prayers hmm. and through the help of the Spirit of God, this will turn out for my deliverance. So he's actually, like, there's the mutuality. Yes. Right? So yeah. Paul asks for prayer, too, sometimes. Right. And he said, pray also for me that my... That, you know, I might have boldness that words might be given to me when I open my mouth. So I proclaim the gospel clearly as I should. Yep. He's saying here, he's, he's not even asking so much as he's already assuming that they're praying for him because he needs it. He's right. saying, I know that through your prayers, this will turn out for my deliverance. Right. Um, so as he's praying for them, he's, he's assuming that that's a reciprocal yep. kind of thing. And it's for him. He's yep. not praying. Like, even though he's saying, I'm, I'm here for your progress and joy in the faith. It's the only kind of worth, life worth remaining for. Yep. He's still asking for prayers. Yeah. He's still... He's still in 
you know, house arrest. He's still in Roman. He's in, he's imprisoned in chains. He needs help. Like he needs, he needs their prayers. Right. So he's asking for them. That's good. My part two was bring it. We won't like spend a lot of time here. Right. I'm just going to like throw this out there. Um, I think that there's an aspect of that, that inability or that insecurity that we have sometimes. I know I've wrestled with this that comes, it's just rooted in shame. I think, Mm -hmm. Um, and maybe other things too. Hmm. And I think where we can bring that before God is doubting sometimes if, if, if Christ's righteousness, if his atonement, mm-hmm. his righteousness, if his death, mm-hmm. if it was sufficient for me, right? This, if you find yourself going, huh. and I would just ask us all to consider that you find yourself doubting if Christ's sacrifice was sufficient for you, hmm. that you would stand before God and go, yeah, I know that you're able to forgive everybody else's sins, but not mine, huh. you know? And huh. I think, I think that's just something I've seen in my life, um, yeah. to kind of just, I've seen that about people close to me and around me, you know, throughout yeah. life kind of just go like, yeah, is that something that is, is, a, is a, um, a nefarious side of shame hmm. that shows up like our sin in our, in our brokenness of sin and the way we then wrestle with shame, we stand before God and go, it, and it, it, and it's, it's almost a little bit, why, why do I bring it up? It's a little bit like a self-absorbed, hmm. not intentional, yeah. but it ends up being a little egotistical, hmm. but in a way that sin just captures us. It's not yeah. that we want to be egotistical. Yeah. We just actually sometimes think God's, like the Holy Son of God, his sacrifice was sufficient for everybody throughout history and all their sins, mm-hmm. except me, yeah. except mine. Mm-hmm. And we doubt that. Um, I, don't, I don't think there are any of us would doubt that with pride. But like that may just be something to think about. Yeah, is if you find yourself wondering if 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 God really loves you and can love you. Mm. Is that I was going to ask? It sounds like you're saying yes that you would call that like a different form of self absorption. I think so. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I again, I, maybe we don't we don't unpack that a lot. Yeah. I don't think it's um maybe not the exact way that someone would be prone to be self absorbed in like a virtue signaling type of sure. way. Yeah. But it's still like even virtually signaling, where does that, if we, if we root that down into the heart, we dig, dig, dig in on that. Yeah. It's not because somebody would go, yeah, I, I actually just want to be really selfish. Yeah. I think they go, oh, I don't think I'm being selfish. Yeah. That's the, that's kind of the point. <laughs> yeah. So if you dig in on that, I wonder if some of those things, they all kind of go to the same root. Yeah. I think you're right there. I mean, it's the other side of, if it's a spectrum and arrogance, you know, bravado, Pride is the one end, then despair, yes. self-loathing sure, is the other. Sure, that's right, yeah. And even we'll maybe get into that a little bit next Sunday when we get to the famous Philippians 2 passage about having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, the humility of Jesus. Yeah. Philippians 2, the famous passage about how he took on the form of a servant. Um, it's not this passage. It's a, it's a different passage from 1 Corinthians. But Keller wrote this little book called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. Where mm. the one line that always that always I remember from that book is, humility is not thinking less of yourself; it's thinking of yourself less. That's right. Yeah. So the whole idea that this spectrum of dis- despair to arrogance is actually, it's actually the same thing. It's all self. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just it's either self presented confidently or it's self presented insecurely. <laughs> right. Uh, but it's still self. It's still self absorbed. Right. And I think it may. I mean, even as we're kind of connecting the dots here to that. Um, man, that's just even good awareness for what it looks like to love people in an increasingly self-absorbed yeah. society. Like yeah. the people right. who are self-absorbed in our society right. might present arrogant, might present 
woe is me, everything's awful, even to the point of like how, you know, I I have a real struggle with could Christ's death be sufficient for my sin? Yeah. It could be anywhere on that. Yeah. Um, I would say the relational aspect of that um, is huge to even get to know where people are coming from. Right. In that too. That's a, that's a good kind of paradigm there. Maybe we open up that question even more when we get into that example of Christ's humility. Yeah. Next week. Yeah. Kind of a kind of segue from one to the other. Yeah. It's good. This was the second question that came in this week. So let's jump to that. Let's do it. Second and final question for this week. Yep. Wrap up this episode. All right. Here's the question. Today, meaning yesterday. Oh, no, wait. Today. Like now. Now. Okay. Present, now our present, time. present time. We know that we will spend eternity with Christ. And that is the reason why Paul did not fear death, but actually desired death to be with Christ. So prior to Christ's resurrection, how would the Jews and Gentiles respond to Paul's statement to die as gain? In other words, was the afterlife and heaven thought to be an eternal life with God, or was death just the end? Great question. Really good question. And man, I'm I'm thinking like, you know, show notes. We'll link to the article. Show notes. <laughs> you know what? Read that answer in the show notes. Bye everyone. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> this week's okay. Um so it wasn't monolithic in that there wasn't like one view of the afterlife True. in pr- prior and still is not it still is not still wasn't in Paul's day there was not Paul's Pharisees day. right even early first century Jewish groups had slightly different views of this right so it's you can't really distill it down to one to one view but generally speaking um, the Jewish people had hope in a future resurrection they looked to the day of the Lord what they call the day of, we still call the day of the Lord that there would be a final resurrection at the end of history. Um, even one little quick snapshot example of that, John chapter 11, which I referenced yesterday, Jesus at Lazarus' tomb. Mm-hmm. When he's talking with Mary and Martha, um, Jesus says, I'm the resurrection of a, and the life. Or, or he's talking about, oh, he says, your brother will rise again. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And do you, know, do you believe that? And she says, well, I know that he will rise again in the last day. Right. So, so there's, this, there's this first century Jewish hope of a future fi- um, final resurrection yep. at the end of history. Right. But what was so category blowing for them was, you know, Lazarus was raised from the dead in that moment. Jesus was, of course, that was a, a little foretaste of what Jesus was about to do That's right. for our deliverance from sin and death. The category blowing thing was that people could experience a resurrection in the middle of history. That was like what Jesus did. So um, the general prevailing Jewish view was that there was um, there was a final resurrection and that there was kind of a holding place in death variously referred to as like Sheol, Sheol. Yep. or like um, the parable Jesus tells about the rich man and Lazarus, a different Lazarus, yep. Yep. <laughs> um, not, not Mary and Martha's brother, but where uh, the Lazarus, who's the righteous poor man in that story and, and the, um, and the rich man die. Right. And the rich man goes to Hades. I think either, I can't remember what they refer to it there as, but they do refer to the Lazarus going to Abraham's side or Abraham's That's bosom right. in, the, yep. in the old translations of it, where it's like there's some and a great chasm is fixed between the two of them. So there's there's a there's a kind of holding place yep. in death, right, awaiting this final day of the resurrection. Right. So there was definitely a hope for that. I think what was unclear, and, and I'm sure scholars have done more work on this, so maybe it's more clear than I realize. What Paul has a hope of here in Philippians one is that he will die and immediately. From a spiritual, from a soul standpoint, yep. be with Christ. Right. I desire to depart and be with Christ. That is better by far. 
even though his bodily resurrection is not until the day Christ comes again, that his soul will immediately be in the presence of Jesus. Yep. Even Jesus on the cross, when he says to the thief on the right, um, today you will be with me in paradise. Right. There's an aspect of like conscious presence with Jesus then, right away. Right. Not, not waiting some kind of holding pattern. Right. It seems like maybe in the Old Testament there was more of a sense of a holding pattern, <clears throat> but that would be the difference. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, even, the, that's the Jews. He also mentioned this question. Question also yeah, mentioned Gentiles. Gentiles. Yep. Uh, again, <clears throat> wide spectrum of views. Most of them, first century Gentile groups, were very spiritual, were dualistic, and even like early Gnostic, when you know, they call it Gnosticism. But the idea that there was such a separation of the spiritual and the material, the physical and material world was bad, the spiritual and soul world was good. And so actually for them, death was an escape. So they would have... Um, Actually, you kind of see this show up a little bit in Hamlet and his famous soliloquy. Um, to be or not Could to be. Could you perform that right now? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can perform the Billy Madison version. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Prove it. No, yeah. right. so, to be or not to yeah. be. Soliloquy, yeah. right? That's famous right. Yep. soliloquy in Hamlet. Whether it's noble to suffer the slings and arrows yeah. of outrageous fortune or to die, right? Or right. And, and Hamlet is talking about death as an escape. Like, hey... It might be better just to get out of here, hit the eject button. Right. And that would be maybe more representative of kind of what a first century Gentile perspective would be. The physical material world is corrupted, hit sure. the eject button, get out of here. Yep. Very different from Paul, who has a positive view of the physical material world. So Paul, for him, death is not an escape as much as it is the fulfillment, the consummation of where history is heading. And right. he gets there sooner. Right. That's It's very different from like, get me, you know, like... Beam me up. I'm out of here. Right. Um, it's a positive view of the physical and material. Right. Which is why he would call it a gain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. In in Old Testament in scripture, I don't know if the phrase to die is gain. Yeah. Would not probably make as much sense. It would have to be kind of parsed out a lot more. What does that mean? Even in Sheol. Yeah. Are there levels of Sheol, groups within Sheol? Yeah. You know, that some would probably be considered better than others. But like the idea to die is to gain. Yeah. A completely revolutionary type of. Yep. In the same kind of way that wasn't, that wasn't. Yeah, that's right. For the Jewish people in a way that said presence with, with Jesus right now. Yeah. And from my soul is present with Jesus. And from a Gentile perspective, not just death as escaping the physical and material, but as, um, as something better. That's right. Even with a positive view of the physical and material. Right. Yeah. It's good. Good. All right. Well, that's our, those are the questions that came in. Yeah. Thank you everyone for yeah. putting questions. And again, last week we did record with Mike Schuff the Sunday afternoon after the church service, which yeah. we don't usually do. We did that last week because we had a few scheduling conflicts. Uh, we do usually record these late Monday morning. Uh, so sending questions uh, after the services Sunday afternoon or early Monday morning. Thank you to those that sent in a, a, a bunch of questions between last week and this week. And we'll look forward to continuing Philippians Philippians next week. Yeah, um, and we still have seven or eight weeks of Philippians. Yeah, left. we got. Yeah, we'll do a couple verses at Ash Wednesday on Wednesday night. Right. So we'd love for you to join us for that five thirty on Wednesday. We'll just do the last part of this week one, Wednesday. Yep. This week, yeah, and then um, we'll we'll hit Philippians two. We'll start Philippians two uh, this coming Sunday. Terrific. All right, Matt. Thanks for joining again today. Yeah. Thanks everyone for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week. We will see you soon, especially on Sunday. Yeah. Take care, everybody. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Sermon B-Side podcast. For more resources and information about our church, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. 
That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org.